0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today, I'm joined by Tom Davies. Tom is the host of Proper Mental Podcast, where he aims to normalize conversations around mental health. Tom joins us today for a very special episode this week to discuss his mental health experience for Suicide Awareness Month. Hello, Tom.
1: Hi, Anne. How are you doing? I'm
0: good. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yeah. I'm having a, I'm having a good day. Good. It's a good, good day. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah.
0: No, I think it's so funny how like we literally spoke for the first time last week and now we're speaking again i feel like i've I've, like suddenly know you so quickly
1: (laughs) yeah just hanging out together yeah yeah, (laughs) passing the time absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah
0: yeah well thank you so much for for joining us today i think today's going to be a bit of a different episode than what we're used to um on full of beans but i think such an important one um in terms of suicide awareness um i think it really kind of fits with eating to so a lot, I'm sure a lot of listeners can resonate with it, um, so it's a conversation we really need to be having so I guess to start us off, do you want to tell us a little bit about proper mental and how you started that and kind of the the aims that you have behind that?
1: yeah sure um I, it, it kind of came about really um and I'm sure we'll talk about my mental health experience um, in a bit, but as I was getting out the other side of a really tough few years. <laughs> Um, and until that point, I hadn't really spoken about my mental health to anyone. And even though I was, I was getting better, you know, I was recovering, but I was still not really telling anyone, um, what was, what was going on with me. And I slowly started to, I decided to be a bit more honest about it. I started to not be afraid of it and stop. Um, you know, at the time I was off work, right. So I'd signed myself off, um, off work. I'm self-employed and I'd closed, closed down my business to take some time to just figure stuff out and, and get well, essentially. Um, and I just, yeah, I was just trying to talk about it. And I've got a friend who runs a local uh, mental health support charity, and I do a bit of work for them as part of my day job. And we started going for these these walks to talk about me coming back to work and making these these videos for him. And we just started talking, talking about that, talking about work, about life, about mental health. And um, and it was really healing it became like a, something I really looked forward to doing I came back from them feeling really kind of energized and it just did so much for me to be able to talk without judgment and have someone else go oh yeah totally that's happened to me too um and up until that point I'd never done it I'd never had a conversation with someone about about mental health and I kind of I wanted to do that I wanted to explore it more for myself. And I wanted to do it for other people. I kind of really had this romantic idea that, um, it was initially supposed to be a short series of YouTube videos. And I had this really romantic idea that someone was going to, um, be in great need of hearing it and stumble down a rabbit hole at three in the morning and just find it because essentially that's kind of what I used to look for, you know, I used to be up all night on the internet, just looking for some crumb of hope that maybe I could be okay. And so, yeah, that was the plan. And it kind of felt much more like a podcast as it, as it went on. and. Um, yeah, I just kind of, I just took it and, and kept going and I've, it's been incredible, really. It's been, um, it's been very good for me. It started off much more about me and now it's very much for, uh, for other people, I suppose. But yeah, that's kind of where it, where yeah. it came from. The idea really is just to speak to as many different people as possible about as many different experiences. And I think even if, you know, even if you haven't had the same experience as someone, then you can find some commonality in it, right? Whether it's, uh, I will say that we, we all break in different ways, but it's a lot of the same stuff that comes out and underneath all these different diagnoses, underneath all the, the the illness and the chaos and everything that comes with it, it tends to be a very human experience. You know, it's the same thoughts, feelings and emotions that are out of control or buried or hidden or whatever. But um, yeah, that's the idea. Reality is uh, just this, this platform of, of relatable conversations from, from all angles.
0: Yeah. I think you're totally right. Like having the sort of, ability to listen to somebody else talk about something you know I think any kind of mental health issue can feel so lonely and isolating and like you've just said there, I think being able to listen you know if you don't feel like you have somebody in your kind of family or friends that you can talk about it to. Even just hearing a random stranger, somebody that you've never met, be like, this is what I'm going through right now. And you know, it feels pretty rubbish, but this is, you know, how I'm navigating it and stuff, I think is so refreshing. Um and I really liked what you said about like you kind of started the podcast, it was more for you than and now it's for other people because that I was the same with Philippines. It was for me to have the conversations, but actually, you know, it's helped so many other people. Um with that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice thing, right? It's a nice that it can, it can turn into that. You know, when I, um when I was poorly, I, I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't know. I didn't have the words for these things. I, d- I didn't know what mental health was. I had no idea that you could go to your GP for something that wasn't like a broken leg or a cold. I would no. I'd no it, it didn't occur to me. I, I'm. I've been very lucky. I'm touching a lot of wood here that I've never really had to go to my GP very much. Um, I wasn't even registered with one until sort of I turned thirty. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of. Um. You know, I've probably only been three or four times in my adult life. So it just wasn't. That wasn't. Something to me. It just wasn't on my radar. I didn't, the only mental health knowledge I had was films and TV. And, you know, in EastEnders, it was always like this great big thing with a a guy on a bridge and everyone's underneath going, don't do it. And it's so dramatic and emotional. And I was like, well, that's not me you know, or it's like a a film where people are getting, you know, normally locked up against their will or the main villain, the main serial killer is like a psychopath or, you know, like it's, that's the only, that's the only thing I knew about mental health and, um, just kind of, yeah, seeing or hearing other people talk about it and you go, hang on a minute, maybe I'm not completely insane. You know maybe this is a thing and it has a name and and you can get help, and you know it's a, like a, well, the first time you realize that actually no you can get some help and you know you can maybe even be okay, that's so powerful, that's like a lifeline you know it's um yeah it's it's it really made a difference to me certainly
0: yeah absolutely um where when did you kind of you know you just say in there that, that you had no idea about mental health? Um, or oh, that you could get support of it. When did you realize that that was something? Was that when you were listening to something else or did you have a conversation with someone?
1: I um, I was on Instagram once and I saw a video and it was from uh, World Mental Health Day or Mental Health Month, whichever one's coming up in October. It was the October one. Um, and I saw a video of um, like an athlete that I followed with quite a high profile. And he was talking about his own experience. Um, and until that point, I never heard anyone talk about it at all. Um, because why would I? I didn't move in those circles. I didn't follow those accounts on Instagram. I followed, you know, football accounts and music accounts and all the stuff I was into. Right? I wasn't into mental health. Um, and that was the first time. So it was someone who would have been normally in my sort of sphere, someone I would have watched their content talk about something I never would have heard anyone speak about. And I remember I was very poorly at the time. And I remember thinking, wow, that's not just me, you know, that he was describing my experience it was it was very very similar um and i kind of wasn't at that time i wasn't in a place where i could explore that or where i could hold space for other people i think as well when we when we tell our stories when we talk about our experiences we have to be very mindful of of where we are in that journey you know um a saying i've picked up along the way is uh share from the scar, not from the wound. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't have done anything with, with that, you know, with that information of knowing people talked about this stuff, but I banked it. It had a big enough effect that I was like, all right, okay, this is a thing and it's all right.
0: And I just, I just
1: banked that information. And I think that was probably the seed of proper mental, you know, a good sort of six months before it started. But yeah, I do. I remember I watched that video about six times on The Bounce. You know, I just I couldn't get over it. I was like, wow, this is me. And I had never seen anything like it before.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, naively, maybe I don't think I've ever really thought about the impact that, being some maybe somebody out of like I think we spoke a bit about this on when we did um our podcast together last week in terms of somebody outside of maybe the mental health community talking about mental health um because like you have just said you know you were kind of following footballers whatever and then somebody spoke about it um and that's you know something that maybe I've not really thought about much before in terms of how important it is for people that you know aren't necessarily mental health campaigners to talk about their mental health i think it's a really brave thing to do if it's not something you've done but actually then reaching people that you know like yourself that didn't actually realize that maybe there was an issue but by them talking about it, it reached people that, you know, eating disorder awareness, somebody with an eating disorder might not even know they have an eating disorder. And they if they know, they might come to Full of Beans. But if they don't know, it's going to be actresses or actors or sports people that they follow that will talk about it. And I think, hmm, maybe that's something I can relate to.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's the crossover, right? Because mm-hmm. I often think with the mental health community, as amazing as it is, it is one massive echo chamber. Mm. And, you know, I know that I can put together a really, really nice post and say, it's okay not to be okay. And I can share it on my social media and I know I'll hit all the vanity metrics, you know, it'll get loads of likes, loads of shares. People will say nice thing about my work and I'll feel really good about myself. (laughs) But if I go through all the comments and the likes, it's all people who know this stuff, Mm. you know, and I always think like, how do I reach me five years ago in a mental health breakdown? And I didn't know what one was, you know, how do I reach the guy who, who won't speak up Cause like me, he's like scared that his wife's going to leave him or that he's going to take his, have his kids taken away from him. You know, how do I, how do I get in his ears? Because he doesn't follow me on social media. He doesn't know my podcast exists. And I think that's the, that's the challenge. And that will always be the challenge, right? It's how do we cross over, um, you know, it, 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 can almost be, sometimes it feels like either there's everyone who talks about it and there's everyone who doesn't, mm. and there's not a great deal of, of crossover, but, um, yeah, that's the, that's the challenge. And I think the more, like you said, it's great when people with profile talk, um, you know, that really, really reaches people. Um, and just the things that they're out there, the more things there are, right. There's gotta be something for everyone that not everyone is gonna like my podcast. But as long as there's loads of mental health podcasts, mm-hmm. they'll find one they do, you know. And that, I think that's the that's the most important thing is just sort of variation and just just lots of it. And I suppose it's there when people need it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that is the great thing about well, that I found anyway about sort of the mental health and the podcasting community is that you know it's not it's not competitive in like you know oh well I'm an eating sort of podcast so I don't want to speak to anybody else because like you've just said this podcast might not be someone's cup of tea but as long as it's a resource for somebody I think that's where it's really important um you mentioned there about your like five years ago and like being in a mental health breakdown so I really wanted to chat to you about your experience um so do you want to kind of like paint the scene of what was going on for you at that time
1: yeah sure it's um I mean, now I know I've been in therapy pretty much since then off and on. And I now kind of know that I struggled with my mental health most of my life, mm-hmm. you know, certainly through my teens, definitely, uh, maybe before that, um, but I was always an anxious child, always had trouble expressing or experiencing my emotions. Um, I used to experience sort of big patches of low moods, which I now think were probably depression, you know, through my teens, but I didn't know what that stuff was. I thought that was me. I thought it was my personality. I thought that was weird, right? And I had to hide that at all costs, especially as a teenage boy, when it's about you sort of, you blend in to survive, right? As a teenager. Um, so that was kind of, that was how I lived really, um, sort of shape-shifting, you know, putting on different masks for different situations, never really a clear idea of who I was and what I wanted to do. And I think that's definitely fueled my anxiety over the, over the years. And um, eventually we get to 2016 and the, the birth of my son. And I think how I like to understand it is by that point, I've been living life so unauthentically and I was doing so much stuff that was not very good for me, both mentally and physically. I had no space to absorb the change. So when this, this, like this baby arrived in my life and suddenly I'm not Tom anymore. I'm dad. And just the, all the normal stuff that comes with having a new baby, the fear, the, the worry, the stress, the sleepless nights, all of that stuff that's completely normal. Well, I couldn't cope with that. I had nothing left. And I, and yeah, I just broke. It was too much for me. You know, it's, um, I had too much to worry about. I was too worried about my wife. I was too worried about being a good dad. It was just, um, yeah, I was just kind of overwhelmed. I think just too, too much going on. I couldn't, I couldn't cope with it. And that's, yeah, that's when the kind of wheels came off. I think up until that time, there'd been a leak in the basement. And when Reese was born, that was when the pipe just burst and everything, everything flooded. And then of course, like, I couldn't say anything, you know, my wife had just been through labor. How could I say to her, you're like, you know oh I feel a bit down to be honest babe you know she's like just carried a person for nine months and given birth it just really didn't seem appropriate so it's a case of you know just just push it down you know just crack on keep going toughen up get through it um and i did that for a long time did that for a long long time and um we'd have sort of good days and and bad days and a lot of a lot of up and down but on the whole i kind of kept it together um and then we uh we had another baby really close together so um when my son was 10 months old then kim fell pregnant again so then we kind of went through it all again um and you know then everything just ramped up everything was twice as hard the second one wasn't a particularly straightforward pregnancy there was a lot of worry about that one and that was quite a scary time in itself um and yeah and then things started to go really really wrong And, um, I was working for the NHS at the time. It's before I was self-employed and I started to get a little bit in trouble in work because I couldn't sort of, I couldn't show up. I couldn't get stuff done. I couldn't concentrate and different aspects of my life started to crumble. You know, it was clear that I was no longer holding this stuff together. Um, and yeah, that kind of took me to a place really, uh, that would have been at the end of 2018, I think I, that was the first time I left the house with the intention of, taking my own life we would kind of i'd kind of got to the point where it's like well i don't know what to do you know i can't go on like this i can't go back you know that's the it, yeah there was just nowhere left left to go and the first time i thought about it i was really shocked you know this like thought just popped into my head it's like you know there's one way to stop all this right now all this goes away and I scared myself, you know, like even, even though it was my own thought, I sort of pushed it away very, very quickly, but it kept coming back. And if you expose yourself to anything, you know, if you watch enough horror movies, you'll stop jumping at the jumpy bits, right? You just get used to it. And I just kind of got used to these thoughts. And, um, it gave me a strangely, a real sense of calm, you know, when I decided, right, this is it, I'm done. I'd been looking for an option for so long and this felt like it it felt like I'd cracked the code um so yeah so the first time I left the house with those intentions it didn't happen as with a lot of things in mental health it kind of just shifts you know my plan was that particular day um I took my son out for a day and my plan was to bring him home give him one last really good day you know he could remember his dad a real positive and then bring him home and I was going to go back out and at some point during that day we just had a really lovely day together and it just passed like these things do one minute is everything. And the next minute's nothing. And, you know, I took him home and I did bath and I did bed and I did all that stuff. And it was only later I was sat in front of the telly with a cup of tea and it was like, Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be elsewhere. You know, I'm supposed to be uh, taking care of business and it just kind of passed. Um, and those wobbles just kept, just sort of kept happening really. Um, but not long after that, my wife had, Or maybe even before that, the timeline's a little dodgy, but, um, my wife had sort of spoken to me and said, you know, you're not right. You know, um, something's going on. You need to kind of get some help. And, um, she asked if I'd go to the doctor and, um, I wouldn't, I was very reluctant to, but I said to her, you know, I'll fix this. I'll fix this myself. You know, that's my role. I'm the man of the family. I'll get this sorted. And I started doing more of the stuff that you're supposed to do, you know, taking better care of myself physically. I was doing a lot of yoga um, you know, all those sorts of stuff. And that kind of kept a lid on it for a little bit, but that's not healing. Right. That was, if anything, that was kind of distracting me from the work that I needed to do. And we just, we went along like that for a long time of me telling Kim that I was fine when I really, really wasn't. And, um, on bad days, I'd do more yoga and I'd try and meditate more. And, um, we just kind of, kind of drifted. And that carried on for a couple of years. Um, that was really tough. That was really tough on more on Kim. I think that's, that's my biggest regret is kind of what I put the family through. Um, and we get to 2020 and the weirdly, the pandemic actually had no impact on my mental health. I kind of, um, I was really lucky in that I had quite a nice time through lockdown. I think I wasn't allowed to say that for a long time, but I'm allowed to say it now. I think enough time's passed. Um, but what one thing life slowing down made me realize is all the stuff that I was doing in my life that I didn't like doing. I was doing a lot of stuff that I didn't like doing and slowing down and not doing it allowed me to find some peace, it allowed me to find some happiness and start to kind of like, get into this this thing inside me that needed examining and needed bringing out into the light i kind of managed to get a bit closer to understanding that and then of course the world goes back to normal and i just jumped straight back in you know i knew what i didn't want to do i didn't know how to change it and i jumped straight back into my old life um and i managed to make it through the summer and that october october 2020 um i got really really ill and my therapist said to me, um, you know, the things you are saying, I was in a therapy session. I was very upset. And he said, the things you were saying are not right. he said, I'm genuinely worried about your welfare and we need to take action. Now this is, you know, this needs dealing with. And he said to me, um, what in your life right now is non-negotiable? What can you walk away from? And I said, the only thing that's non-negotiable is Kim and the kids. And he said, cool, everything else goes. And I just stopped doing everything else. I closed my business. Um, I just stopped and I just kind of just hung out at home trying to sleep, trying to eat, trying to figure out what this was, working the therapy process pretty hard and I just couldn't find the answers and I just got more and more lost and things just got, took a turn for the worst. I think as soon as I stopped pretending and admitted that I was poorly, then it became quite apparent how little hope there was and how I didn't have a clue what I was going to, what I was going to do with it. Um, and that's when the sort of the suicidal ideation really came back. Um, and I just couldn't get past it. It seemed like the only the only solution. And I kind of came up with this, with this plan. I started getting everything ready for it to happen. And my family are from Wales. That's where I'm from originally. It's about a four-hour drive from here. And I'd said to Kim that I just needed some space from her and the kids. Um, and I was going to go back to my mum's for a bit just for a couple of days. And the the plan was, is that when I drove down to Wales, I'd have said goodbye to my wife and my children, and then I'd have a weekend at home. And when I left home, I'd have said goodbye to my mom and dad and my aunties and all that. And I'd have a little four hour window where I'd said goodbye to everyone in my life that, you know, that, that mattered all the people closest to me. And that was, you know, that was my plan. I was kind of, that's when I was going to go. And that was all set. And I was kind of, uh, yeah, doing all the stereotypical things, really. I was making sure everything was in order, you know, making sure that it would be the the simplest route. Um, And I just happened to the the day before or the morning of that I was supposed to go on that drive. I happened to have a conversation with my auntie and we talked about, so my auntie, she's only like 13 years older than me. So we've always been close. She's always been like the cool young auntie, you know. <laughs> And, um, we've talked about mental health before she tried to, and I'd said, no, no, I'm fine. I just need some sleep, which was my usual answer. And, um, but she's an occupational health nurse and she works in a factory with like 500 blokes. And a big part of her job is, is signposting them to get help and looking after them and being the first point of contact when they're not doing very well. And I think she could just see, she could just see it in me, maybe when everyone else couldn't. And um, she brought it up and we sort of talked about it and she started talking about medication. And until that point, I'd never considered it. I was so, I'd listened so much to the stigma around it, you know, and all the people saying all the bad things. I was like, no, I can't go down that route. I can't do it. And she sort of told me about, about her doing it again, relatable experiences. Right. And she told me about a patch of illness that she'd had that I knew nothing about and how meds had got her through it. And then she stopped doing them on the other side and everything was great. And, um, and I kind of thought, well, I haven't tried them yet. I've tried everything else. And I felt confident saying I'd tried everything else. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, my babies need to know that daddy did everything he could before he checked out. And I thought, well, there's one box left to tick. So I said, cool, let's give it six weeks. You know, let's, let's try. Um, Yeah. And I phoned Kim and I said, can you get in touch with with my doctor and uh, make me an appointment? And then, yeah, when I drove, drove back, that's the first thing we did. I spoke to the doctor on the phone. It was all phone stuff still then at the end of, end of 2020. And it happened really, really quick. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to, you know, Kim did everything. You know, she kind of, she put the phone in my hand when it was ringing. She went and picked up the prescription. She put the first pill in my mouth. Um, and I washed it down with a big sip of water and I just sobbed. I felt like such a failure, you know, in all aspects of, um, and now I look, it was that, that that was when I started to win, you know, that's when I took control back. But at the time I just felt, yeah, I just felt, felt dreadful. And, um, and it was those, those pills that brought me back to life, you know, with it really quickly. I think a lot of it was placebo because it happened so quickly. So I got all the side effects, but I felt better really quickly. And I mean, like 10 years younger, I had energy. I had, you know, I just, It was, the change was unbelievable. And I think I'd been so desperate for help. And I'd been looking in all these places that weren't tangible. I'd been looking in yoga and meditation and reading self-help books, but to have an actual physical, like box of pills from someone who said, there you go, take these. That seemed to really work for me. Um, And yeah, I was back on my feet within, you know, within a matter of days, I felt better. And um, yeah, I remember that Christmas. I remember Kim said to me um, the first time in years, she said, for the first time in years, I feel like I've got my husband back. And that was, um, yeah, that was incredible. That was incredible. And that's kind of, sorry, that was a really long, (laughs) long version, but yeah, that's kind of how it, kind of how it happened It's sort of over this sort of five, five or six years worth in, in there. And, um, yeah, I think to some extent, I'm still figuring some of it out, you know, still figuring some of it out, but, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's how it happened for me anyway.
0: Well, I'm really grateful for you sharing that. Um. I think I was welling up a bit at at points so I do apologize um but I think the fact that you're now able to share that experience with others will you know it's absolutely incredible um and you know thank goodness that your auntie suggested that medication because it sounds like that was such a big part of you sort of thinking you know okay, maybe this is the one last thing I can try. And sometimes I think that's all we need is like one mm. little glimmer of like, yeah, potentially there's some hope there. Because I think hopelessness, I think, can be such a difficult thing in that situation.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's when we run out of options, isn't it? Mm. That's when our our thoughts start to go down that certain route is when we think that there is no other, no other mm. options. And there's always other options. Yeah. Always. You know, that's um, that's something that I I will you know, I'll stand by a hundred percent and it doesn't have to be medication. That's not for everyone. I don't yeah. advocate for or against, you know, it, it particularly worked for me. Um, and I know for a lot of people it hasn't, but that doesn't mean that there isn't anything There will always be something always, always, always.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I agree. I think sometimes, you know, I've tried medication in the past and it didn't work. Um, and I think sometimes I found it interesting what you said about, um, kind of feeling like a failure when you tried the medication for the first time but actually that was when you started winning um it's so interesting isn't it that perspective of you know being a failure because of almost you needing the help um but actually taking that help is really really important in that situation um and I wanted to ask a bit more about because you you mentioned it a couple of times when you're talking about sort of being a man, um, and the like masculinity aspect of it. Um, how do you think that that made it more difficult for you or, or, or did it make it more difficult for you to talk about it? Um, than maybe, you know, being a woman and the different roles that, that are in play.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like m- my own experience it's really, really interesting because I, before all this and still now I would not have, I'm not a man's man. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm soft. I'm really in touch with my feminine sides. I don't like, you know, I don't drink pints and go to football and do all this stereotypical bloke stuff. Right. Um, so I never really thought of myself cause I wasn't like a lad. Um, I didn't really think. So when I wasn't speaking, when I wasn't talking, I never thought it was like, oh, it's cause you know, cause I don't want to be seen as weak. Cause like, I'm fine with being seen as, as weak. Do you know what I mean? That's not a problem for me, but I would always put that in like more physical terms or, but in reality, I must've really wanted to be seen as being strong because I wouldn't tell anyone that I was struggling. So it it must've been a part, you know, and I very much wanted to be a, not so much a, a strong man's man, but I certainly wanted to be someone that my wife could rely on. You know, I felt that, I needed to fix this myself and get it done because I wanted to be there for her. And I wanted to be an inspiration to my kids. And you know, so it kind of worked to me in that way rather than the more, more conventional, you know, lads not talking type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's so complicated. It's so, so complicated. I think for me, the biggest thing I didn't know what was happening and I didn't have the words. How can you ask for help if you don't have the words, you know, when you don't know what is happening, And, um, yeah, I just, I was just so worried. I was like, oh, if I don't seem strong and capable, then maybe my wife will leave me, you know, maybe if I don't, I don't know who they is. I don't know who was going to take my kids, but I was like, I was always like, ah, they can't take my kids. If anyone finds out what's going on in my head, they're going to take my kids. I don't know who they was. I don't know like what was going to happen. Um, but that was a big worry, you know, that I wouldn't be seen fit to be a dad, um, you know, and obviously I'm self-employed and I work with clients. I work one-to-one with clients and it was like, well, the people, no one's going to want to go and work with the mad guy. So then I'm going to lose my business. And it was much more about like protecting all these, all these roles that I felt that I had to play. Um, Because, you know, I suppose by society standards, anyone different is quite often ostracized, you know, anyone that's not the norm. That was certainly my experience. Like I mentioned before, trying to like blend in as a teenager. And, you know, I really just didn't want to put, pop my head up. And say, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, there's, I've had all these weird thoughts and feelings. And uh, and then again, you hear other people talk and you go, oh, they're not weird at all. They're just completely <laughs> they're normal. They're a little out of control at the moment. I don't quite understand them, but I'm not experiencing anything here that other people haven't experienced countless times.
0: And I think also, like you said at the start, sort of with the whole, like, mental health and maybe not having much awareness about it the awareness comes from the tv and like you said you know mental health is often stigmatized as i think you often see people worst case scenario but even the worst case scenario often isn't like a true representation of what it's like um so i think that's definitely kind of something that needs to change um and like i don't want this to sound insensitive at all but I, like, I, I really want to ask the question more to, like, understand what your thought process was. So please don't think that I'm being no, a bit um, But you were saying kind of how, like, um, with the kind of, like, masculinity aspect of it, you kind of, you know, you wanted to be there as somebody that your wife could rely on and be there for your children. Why did at the time, I mean, I know that it's not as easy as, like, you know, a, a simple thought process, but Why did not being here feel like the better option?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a really, really good question. And um, it's something I kind of thought about a lot, but I think I, my self-worth had got to the point where it was like, they'd be better off without me. You know, they'd be better off. If I check out now, then, um, you know, Kim can meet someone else and she's going to meet this guy and he'll be a really, really great dad. And he'll really look after them, you know, and he won't be, um, he won't, like behave the way that I behave and think the way that I think. And he won't bring all this trouble to the door, so to speak. So I think it was more kind of, um, um, yeah, it was like, I did, I just didn't feel up to the job. I didn't feel worthy of it. I didn't feel like I was good enough. Um, so the idea of just not being there, you know, I used to say really, really quite not nice things to my wife. And it was to, there there was, there was two reasons. I think part of me was trying to push her away. You know, part of me was trying to get her to leave because then I, then I could go then, you know, then I could go and do what I wanted to do. If I wanted to go and die, I could go and die because I didn't have to, uh, you know, took, took the guilt out of, out of the situation. And then I think the other part of me really wanted her to step in. I wanted someone to save me. I didn't have the words for what was happening. So if I thought like, if I really let the bizarre, bizarreness just spill out of me, then someone's got to step in and save me right someone's got to come in and take control of this but if you don't tell people you need help they can't help you it doesn't matter how bizarre you act it doesn't matter how nasty you are or what you say or whether you make jokes about it if you don't ask for help people can't help you if you haven't told someone what's going on with you they can't step in and save you that's not how it works you know and so i even wanted to I it was so hard. Didn't want to admit that something was wrong. I try and behave in ways that would make someone else do it for me. You know, that was my way of avoiding doing the work that I kind of deep, deep, deep down. I knew, I knew I had to do this work. I knew I had to make some changes to myself, but the idea of that was so scary. I was trying to kind of almost manipulate people into doing it for me. Um, so yeah, kind of just, then you show those sorts of character traits, and then it's something else to beat myself up about, you know? So it's like, oh, I'm talking to my wife like this. I'm trying to get this reaction out of her, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, sh- I shouldn't be around anymore. I shouldn't be behaving like this. And it just feeds that narrative of, oh, I shouldn't be here. I should go. I should go. I should go.
0: It's actually so interesting. Um, you know what you are saying about at the start, how like, you know, everything is sort of the same, but it's not the same. Um, and as you were just speaking, then I was just thinking about like my experience with an eating disorder and, that kind of you know internally screaming please help me and doing you know behaviors that you know you, you think are so obvious to people to help but not actually saying i need help that just i think all mental health me um and also like when you said it i was like well yeah that's that's really obvious like obviously you need to say please can i have some help um but i think when you're in it when you're in that moment it's really difficult and I think, you know, it can almost feel a bit scary to say I need help Um, because whatever, you know, you're doing, whatever behavior it is, it's almost it feels slightly protective in a sense. And it's almost you don't want somebody to step in because then they're going to stop you doing what you think you should do. But equally, you do want somebody to step in because there's like a glimmer of I really want to get out of this.
1: Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And like, once you, if you ask for help, or if someone comes in to help you, then everything yeah. changes, right? And it's like, now I've got to address this. I've been hiding this for so long. I don't want people to f- to find out. Well, if I ask for help, they're going to find out. And then what's going to happen? And I, you know, I often think that that's part of the, uh, whether it's the awareness conversation or the, you know, the I don't know what the the terminology would be, but part of the conversation is. When people ask for help, what comes next? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that bit because I thought immediately if I opened my mouth, I was gonna get sections. You know, like straight away if I went to my doctor, next thing you know, I'd be getting like locked up. I'd be in an institution. You know, and of course I pictured that like one flew over the cuckoo's nest because that's the only reference I had for any sort of like medical centre. And then at least if I, at least if. Kim stepped in and put me in that position, at least I could blame her, you know, at least I could like push that anger and responsibility onto, onto someone else, you know, and be like, you got me locked up, you know, like it's all about kind of not wanting to deal with, and it is, it's protective. It is protective. It's your body. For me, it was, I think a lot of my brain had put these, these ways of being, these ways of behaving all through my life to protect me, to keep me safe. And then suddenly they weren't working anymore. And then they were a bit out of control, but, um, and it's you know mm-hmm. being in your own mess is familiar right so it might be where i am right now is awful but i've been here a long time and i know every inch of this awful so as soon as i ask for help as soon as something changes it might be a new awful and it might be worse yeah. <laughs> you know it might be a worse awful <laughs> so maybe i'll yeah. just stay where i am <laughs> I,
0: that i mean everything you're saying is like unbelievably relatable but i think that is just so right in that i'm comfortable right now it might be horrifically horrible to be here but at least I know what's happening um and I think that's what makes recovery from any mental health condition really hard is you don't know what is in the future you know it's you know if you think about it logically it's probably going to be better um but I think uh, you know a lot of mental health conditions come with the like fear of the unknown and um I was only saying to my therapist the other day um we were chatting about like rules and things I have to stick by she was like and what happens if you break those rules and I was like I don't know my brain doesn't go that far it's just like you have to do this and then and she was like okay so can we can we like break it down and I was like well I, I genuinely don't even know where to start because I, I don't know what the problem is but you know there's a reason why I can't do that and I think that's the same as kind of going into recovery and treatment is that fear of I have no idea where this could take me.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have very similar conversations in my yeah. session and I say, well, I just don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know, but, but I can't. And like you say, when someone says, what, why can't you just try? And it's all, mm-hmm. because there's never been any other way, you know, there's like, to me, it's not an option that exists. It's just always been my response. And, you know, something that I find whenever I have like, well, not whenever, but at times when I've had quite severe wobbles and blips is quite often when I witness um, people doing the stuff that I can't bring myself to do the stuff that's locked up in me, that stuff where I say, I can't, because I don't know if there is reason is another, another way of doing it. And sometimes when I see that in other people, it really kind of, um, you know, it makes me crash, you know, because you kind of, it's there, people can do it. Why can't I be like that? Why can't I, um, you know, why can't I be that free? Why am I so locked in my own, in my own space? And, you know, and then of course, what you really want to do when that happens is double down on it right? So for a long time, I, um, I really did the whole, I don't need anyone, you know, I'm one a life solo artist, and I am genuinely, I am an introvert and I'm very happy in my own company, you know? Um, but I'd wear that as a badge of honor. You know i'd be uh you know i don't need i don't need people around me i'll just do my own thing i'm a renegade you know i'm a maverick i do whatever i want <laughs> yeah. but really what he was saying i don't know how to communicate with people i don't know how to be myself around other people i don't know how to i don't know how to talk and interact and do what normal people do and rather than admit that or try and change that i'll just pretend that i don't want that um, and then i cut a really really isolated path and loneliness was massive um, massive in, in what happened to me, you know, very, very much. So I'd no one, cause it wasn't you ask for set, I want you ask for help. I was like, well, who, you know, I couldn't ask my wife. I didn't want to scare her, you know, who, who else? <laughs> I didn't really have anyone to ask. Oh, so it's uh, yeah. It's, so well, how, it's tricky, how
0: yeah. did you kind of come to the point where you thought, okay, well, you, you know, you mentioned going to the doctor, but did you manage to find the words or was it something that took quite a while?
1: Um, the, the, the doctor bit was actually really easy for me. I think because of the time it was COVID, it was all over the phone. Um, it it just, it was a matter of, matter of minutes. And I said, you know, I, I've been in therapy for a long time and I kind of had some understanding really of what was going on. And I said, yeah, I've been, um, very, very depressed for a really, very long time. I've had suicidal thoughts, um, you know. And she said something like, you know, what's been going on to get you to this place? And, you know, I had a birth of my son and, you know, I'm quite lonely. And I think the phrase I used was like typical. I said to her, you know, all the usual uh, typical 40-year-old bloke stuff, you know, <laughs> because that tends to be what happens to uh, to men of my age. You know, it's one of the massive, um, like the environmental factors around all these statistics about men's mental health. Um, so it was really, really quick. I had it easy in that respect. I didn't have to go in and make eye contact. I didn't have to go in and explain myself. Um, you know, it was relatively, relatively simple and, um, yeah, like, cause everything kicked in so quick, um, you know, like a month or so in, I like, I stopped the therapy and everything. I was like, I know I've got work to do, but this has been so awful for so long. And now I feel okay. I just need some okay for a bit. I just need some okay. I feel like myself, I've got energy. I want to repair the damage I've done with my wife. I want to reestablish my you know my my role as as being a good dad. I just now is not the time. And if these pills are a placebo and if it if it is just masking stuff, I don't give a shit because this is just it's nice to be me again. Um and I did that for a long time. I kind of had a good sort of year, maybe 18 months, where I was just like, yeah, whatever sounds I know this works. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Um and I just enjoyed, you know, I just enjoyed and it was lovely. And then yeah I got to a point where I was like, right, cool. I like this stuff to do. Let's, let's do it. Let's, um, let's get back in there. But I'd had long enough behind me and I had systems in place, which is a different story. Some of the best advice I've ever been given, um, by a guest on the podcast, actually, uh, Natasha Danvers, who is a, um, Olympic medal winner back in the day. And she said to me, when you've, when your brain is well, put things in place for when your brain isn't. Because your not-well brain can't make those decisions. It can't think. So your well brain has to put the stuff in place so that when you're not well, you just fall into your systems. And and that's what I was able to do. I had that patch where I just kind of, you know, made sure I found out what worked for me. I found out what I needed. I found out, you know, there's things I need around me. And then it's like, right, okay, now I can risk being poorly again because I know I've got something in place. Um, and for a long time I had that. I really had a fear around it. My biggest fear was getting sick again. And I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize that, like nothing at all. Um, And I really kind of, I felt like I was holding myself back in life because I wouldn't go for new opportunities. I was like, well, what if this is too big and it rocks the boat and I get sick again? You know, so do you want to do this? Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. What if it, you know, what if I get too tired and I get run down and then I get sick again? And it was only when I got to a point where I was like, I can't hold myself back in life anymore. I, I want to experience like every ounce of this experience, this thing we call life. And I can't do it if I'm holding myself back and I just need to be brave and, and, and have another go, you know, and that's kind of where I am now with it. I think that that advice is brilliant.
0: Um, Um, one of my friends says that to me all the time like if he texts me and um, he's like how you doing and I'm like oh I'm really great and he's like and and are you kind of like you know not to put a downer on things but are you working and I'm like oh no I completely forgot about that because you don't want to do you when you're in that really good place you really don't want to think about the times that you were in a bad place but you know like you have just said it actually helps so much to do that and to kind of focus on how can I kind of stay in this area or pick myself up um and I also think you know what you just said about holding back and not wanting to try things I I definitely was the same and always thought like oh you know I'm really happy here right now so I need to stay here um but actually uh, what I found I don't know whether you found the same was that sometimes I would do something and it would kind of make things slip a little bit and I'd kind of beat myself up about that you know you you've obviously not tried hard enough because you're going back but it was the bounce back that I noticed that was better or you know the things I'd put in place like rather than kind of doing something and then engaging in it and not telling anybody I'd like ring my mum and say I've just done this I'm really not proud of it but like I don't want this to carry on um so it's almost like acknowledging the change as well if if you do do something that you know, causes the behavior to come back, acknowledging that change and managing it differently than you did before. I think that's been something really important that I've found.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, <laughs> I, I love this idea of like celebrating small wins. And if you celebrate enough small wins and stack them all up, you'll end up with a big one, right? And, yeah, like going for me, going into like a depressive episodes and having a bit of a, like a blip or a disturbance or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not great, but I kind of, now I know it's happening. I know what's going on. I know what to do about it. You know, the first thing you do is I say to my wife is saying like, oh, I think I'm having a bit of a rough, you know, bit of a rough patch. And, um, and that, that that's enough, you know, that's enough. She knows that, um, you know, she'll, She'll just sort of carry my end, I suppose, a little bit with some of the things that need, need doing in the family and just give me that time and that space to do what I need to do. Uh, the big thing for me was learning. Like I used to go from naught to 60, so I'd have a bad day. And my first response to a bad day was like, I think I'm going to kill myself. Like it just like that, it was no, you know, that was my first response. Oh no, here we go again. This is the only, this is the only thing to, to get me out of it. Whereas like, yeah, like you say, now I kind of know, I know what I need to do and I know to just ride it out and it will pass. It always does. If anyone's listening who is in something, it passes. I don't know how, I don't know why, you know, sometimes it doesn't pass for very long, but it does. There's always a shift. There's always, it has to be, nothing stays the same. I think that's so important. And that's
0: why I really liked your example that you gave earlier about taking your son out for the day. And then you got home and you were like, well, I've just realized that like, you know, I'm I'm still here. Um, I think that speaks so much to that sort of situation. Um, I I wanted to ask you about your, your kids as well. So obviously you've got your son and your daughter. Um, Do you share anything with your kids or kind of, is that completely separate for you?
1: Um, we don't, Mm. I I wouldn't say I go out of my way to share it. You know, my kids are six and four about to be six and five. Um, and you know, they don't have the context. They don't necessarily have the the Mm -hmm. words and the understanding, but we certainly don't hide anything from them either. Um, that's our approach to all sorts of, all sorts of like aspects of parenting really. Um, yeah, but the, like their emotional capacity is, Like, it's incredible, really. I I remember one, it's like a really beautiful story. And there was a time I would have been ashamed of this. And now I'm really, really proud of it. But I remember having a bad day and, uh, my son would have been, I don't know, maybe three, he was small. eh? And I just, I was just overwhelmed and I was just sad. And it was one of those days where you just can't keep a cork on the tears, you know, they just keep coming and you don't know why. And I just, I was feeling myself get more and more upset. And I went out into the garden. And, um, I just sort of sat opposite our kitchen door, sat on my back against the wall. And I was just having a cry, you know, just like a silent, a silent cry. And, um, Reese had followed me out and he just kind of like, he just wandered out and he said something like, you know, what are you doing, dad? And I said, oh, daddy's just taking a minute. He's just a little bit upset. And he didn't say anything. He just wandered over and he just sat on my lap on the floor and I carried on crying and he just sat there. And he just sat and he didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. He just sat. And, you know, after like a, a minute or so, I kind of, it, it it shifted. And I gave him a little hug and he was like, are you all right, mate? And I said to him, are you all right, mate? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I said to him, should we go in back inside? And he said, yeah, come on then. And we just went out and he just sat with me. That's all he did. And, you know, I think quite often with children, we kind of think that, we need them to like protect and hide them from this stuff, but we don't. One thing kids are great at is, is openly showing their emotions. You know, they, they, under, he probably understood that much more than if I'd have tried to explain it to him or anything like that. So, you know, yeah, we'll say stuff like, you know, I'll, I'll say if I'm having a bit of a bad day or a bit upset, I've cried in front of both of my kids. That's not, um, you know, that doesn't, you know, I think it's good to, good to show them that, that, that happens, you know, um, Yeah. It's like, yeah, we don't. So yeah, I'm not like giving them like PowerPoint presentations and getting them to listen to my podcast. But, um, at the same time, we don't, you know, we don't, um, yeah, we don't, we don't hide it from them or, or anything like that. And they ask about mental health. Risa talks about mental health in school. And the main thing, really, I, I, my main focus is trying to, um, trying to make sure that they, they don't, um, go down the similar stuff, right. Of, um, so that's the best way to say it. So I really trying to like validate how my son is feeling, for example, he's the, he's the softer one. So if we're going to school, walk into school and he says like, oh dad, I'm a bit nervous about going to school. Well, the worst thing that I can say is like, ah, you'll be fine once you get there because that's telling him that his, his emotions aren't valid in that situation. You know? So we say things like, um, like, well, that's very, really, really nervous to be normal. mate." I said, sometimes when daddy goes to work, I feel, nor- feel nervous and I'm not even sure why. So what are you nervous about? And he gets like talking about what's going on. And sometimes maybe he's had like a little falling out with someone and he doesn't want to see him. And sometimes he doesn't really know why he's nervous and that's you know we've all been there right and we just talk about it and we talk about how it feels and we talk about how normal it is and we say you know well do you remember when you're nervous about your swimming lessons and now you really love your swimming lessons and you know I remind us, you can do hard things you know and just kind of like just validate talk about those emotions and i think like my approach to my kids is much more that's the way we go with it you know is allow them to allow them to feel and create a space where they have no problem dropping into it and showing us how they feel, even if they can't, Absolutely. even if they can't talk And that talk was about sort of,
0: it. obviously I was not trying to direct the question, but that was kind of what I was alluding to in terms of, um, you know, sharing that with, with your kids, I think is so important. I know for me, like my dad, I think I've seen my dad cry once. Um, so growing up, you know, I didn't really think that men were that emotional. Um, and I think, you know, only through, growing up with friends and you know friends that maybe were more aware of their emotions that that were male i kind of realized that you know men do have emotions and they share that they you know can share them just as much as women so i think it's so important and like you said children well i think children are so much more aware of themselves completely anyway and it's almost like we hit an age where we're brainwashed by society and that's where that all kind of disappears um but you know the story that you were saying about you know Ukraine you and your son came and he probably knew how to respond to that situation from like an automatic human response better than an adult would, because an adult has so many thoughts in their head like, am I doing the right thing? Like, what if they don't respond appropriately? Whereas, you know, actually coming alongside if someone's crying, just sitting next to them and being there. Like, I literally can't think of anything that would be more appropriate in that situation. Um, so I think, you know, not only do we need to kind of demonstrate to our kids that, you know, talking about how you're feeling is absolutely fine, but we need to kind of watch them and learn from them as well, because they they know how to do it better than we do.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I said I remember in a therapy session once I said something like, you know, I want I was really worried about how my experience was going to affect my kids and I said something like um, you know, if uh you know, one of my biggest fears is that my son is going to end up like me, you know, in 30 years time, he's going to be like, you know, sat here going for all this stuff. And my therapist said to me, he said, if, uh, if in 30 years time, your son is self-aware enough to know that he needs therapy and he can afford to go (laughs) private, you've probably done a few things right. And I thought, you know what, like, (laughs) that's probably, uh, it's probably a better way of looking at it, right? It's a better way of looking at it. We can't do it perfect. We can't do it. We can't do it perfect. Mm -hmm. We're going to make mistakes, but all you can do is your best.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. and And I I think that's, that's another enough, key right? thing as well um i think i said to th- this to you the other day that like the amount of self-awareness you get from going through therapy is un like is incredible um so being able to pass that on to your kids you know i think that is an amazing trait of um you know, being aware of how you're feeling and being able to communicate that that will be so helpful in life and maybe you know if you hadn't have had the experience that you've had you might not be as in touch with how you're feeling or be as aware of it and that might not be something that you'd pass on to your kids um to have those open conversations
1: oh amazing a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah definitely i always thought that if i if I spoke up, it would push these people away, right? It would push my wife away, push my kids away, push my, the people I worked with away from me. And when mm-hmm. I did start speaking, it it made it all closer, you know? Like my my wife, me and my wife, we have an incredible relationship because we're really good at communicating mm-hmm. with each other because we've, we've learned to be, you know? And exactly the same with, with my kids. I'm a better dad for it because I've got a better understanding of me, that gives me a better understanding of them. And um, yeah, a hundred percent. It's I'd like, I wouldn't change any of it. I wouldn't change a thing because I'm definitely, um, definitely the old me before the breakdown, I would have a hundred percent said to my son, ah, just get on with it. You'll be fine when he was not hundred percent no one would have done that's how I used to, that's how I used to yeah. talk to me. <laughs> so of course that's how I would have talked to him, yeah. you know? So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I
0: kind of just wanted that's to it, ask yeah. you a bit about your relationship with your wife as well. Um, when you, like you were going through it and how it is now, um, how you know how did she kind of react when she found when you were able to find the words and to say about how you were feeling
1: i i think it was really it was really hard for kim Mm. because she knew something wasn't right so we've been together like from when we were quite young you know so kim would have been like i'm a little bit older than her but kim was like 19 18 19 when we met you know we've been together like 15 16 years um So she knew, she knew, she knows me. She knew something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. But again, she didn't have the words. She didn't know what it was, you know, very, very similar, very similar to, to my own experience of me was, was hers. She also had two little children in the house, you know, and they had to, you know, there was many times when she was like, she was worried about me and I'd, I'd leave the, leave the house. And she'd be thinking, I don't know if he's coming back, but at the same time, like, what's she going to do? Like chase after me and yeah. not, not, look, not give the kids tea or whatever it was I was leaving her to do by storming out the house. Um, so yeah, it was awful. It was awful for her, you know, it was really, um, and yeah, a few times she, she spoke to me and and, and I'd always promise, I'd always promise her that I was going to get better. And, um, you know, that I wasn't lying. I was, def- I was, de- I was definitely, um, I was definitely trying to, follow through on that promise i really wanted to be well i just didn't know how i didn't know where to go i was doing all the wrong stuff you know i was doing i always think that um you know self-care is amazing for us when we're well and it's a really all the stuff is really really good to to stop me falling backwards but you know and it, of course it's different for anything you've got to be so careful generalizing with this stuff but as a rule you know self-care ain't it ain't fixing trauma man do you know what i mean you can you can polish your car as much as you want, but if the engine's broke, you've got to get in there and fix it, right? And um I was too i was I was polishing the bodywork, I was cleaning everything and I was using that to distract me from you know, from popping the hoods and having a having a good look. Um but yeah, it was it was hard. It was hard for her. It was a, you know, I put it through a lot. Put it through a lot. But um like I say, it it's definitely made us definitely brought us closer, you know. And if I try not to have regrets, but if I do have regrets, they're normally about how my behavior affected my wife. You incredible woman, you know, I tried so hard to push her away and she just wouldn't be pushed away. <laughs> she just uh, just, just hung in there, man, every time. And um, I'm blessed. I'm truly, truly blessed. She
0: clearly yeah. knew that all the hard work would pay off. So I'm really glad to hear that that was the case. Um, when you were talking about like communication between the two of you, you know, how, how do you think, you know, how did you do that? And and how did that kind of support you both going forward? Because, you know, it's, it's difficult supporting somebody as well as being the one that's going through it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a really interesting question. Um, I suppose, like, once I started to get proper help, um, you know, I kind of, I want to share that with her she wants to be a part of it too and you know at the very least i owe her you know an explanation um and often i'll come back from a therapy sessions and maybe not straight after because i'm not always kind of like ready to talk you know but you know (laughs) once you've processed and worked out what the hell has just happened to you (laughs) um then you know we'll sit down and we'll say oh this came up and that came up and i talked about this and this is where i am with it and you know i just kind of like keep her up to date on the on the process and she trusts me like i say every time i promised her i'd get well i wasn't lying you know i just didn't have the right tools and now i've got the right tools so i can work it and she trusts me to work it you know so um yeah i just kind of you know we just talk about it we're open and you know when when you've had when you've kind of had this sort of amount of disruption as we have you have to be able to talk really honest and you know i remember I getting a bit of a shock because we've got two kids and both of us like my daughter she's just turning four she's going to school we haven't got a baby in the house anymore and we're both really broody you know and um that for a while we kind of talked loosely about maybe having another baby and if that's something we wanted to do and we would just talk about it one night just kind of you know not a big conversation just chatting about it and she probably like cuddled a friend's baby and come home like <laughs> missing missing the cuddles and we we're talking about it and i said to her, you know do you think we do you think we could you know do do you think it'd be wise and 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 she said to me well to be honest my biggest worry would be could your mental health take it you know and uh, again the old me would have been like what do you fucking mean you know like oh putting this all on me um but the the new me or the real me whichever way you want to put it i was like wow like thank you so much for for feeling, I I felt proud that she felt that she could say that to me without fear of any sort of, um, you know, any sort of bad reaction. And I thought about it. It's like, you know what? I'm not at that time. I'm not sure if it could, (laughs) you know, but you have to have these conversations. You can't just go and have a, go and have a kid and hope that I'm not going to get sick again. You know, it was, um, and just learning to speak to each other like that, not to have, to not avoid the hard conversations, whether they're about mental health or whether they're about other aspects of just being married and being parents and all the stuff that comes with that is just being able to um, just sort of speak your truth and not worry that someone's going to kick off or that you're going to offend someone because they know that there's no way that you would mean it offensively, even if you maybe haven't used the right words or it's not the right time. Um, But you know, that it all comes from a good place and we just had to learn to, to i suppose look at things through the lens of my mental health um and yeah yeah we had, had to have had a lot of awkward conversations um along the way but you know you normally yeah, relationships yeah actually, are better i think awkward
0: like you said i think it's incredible that she was actually she felt she could say that and i think that just shows how you know strong that communication was for the both of you to be able to say something like that because like you said that could be quite difficult to hear and actually being able to take that on board and think yeah maybe that's something to consider um i think yes is really powerful um i guess to finish um i wanted to ask a bit about we spoke before um you mentioned it before about you know awareness is great but what do we do after that and i think it's a great question i don't have the answer (laughs) Um, But I think it's really true. You know, I, at the moment, I'm I'm going through some stuff and I've done all the right steps, but there's still nothing there. Um, So, you know, in a perfect world, what do you think would be the next thing after after someone's, you know, okay, I'm ready to speak, I'm speaking. What do you think should happen next?
1: What's next? Yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the... I kind of feel like where it comes to the awareness conversation, I kind of feel like we're aware, you know, there'll always be a need for it. There'll always be people that need to, need to know, but, um, it's almost, yeah, it's almost becoming an empty gesture. And I really believe that the, the, the new awareness is signposting. That's what I think is like, don't just tell someone it's okay to not be okay. Tell them what to do when they're not okay. Tell them where to go. And there is so many incredible organizations, charities, supports out there, and people just don't know they exist. People just don't know. And um I mean there's a um an amazing app called the Hub of Hope. I don't mean, if you've come across the Hub of Hope before. So if I put my um postcode into the Hub of Hope, within I think it's like five miles of my postcode, there's seventy-five Places on that list that I can contact. And of course, not all of them will be relevant. Not all of them will be able to help. But <laughs> Jesus Christ, 75. Like, someone, yeah. there's got to be so, to at least get me started, to at least refer me to someone else, you know? And I think they're all out there. And when we need to know about them, we don't know about them. It's only after the fact. I can list so many amazing charities in my local community. I could list them off the top of my head. And when people contact me, and say, you know, like, oh, I'm struggling. Who would you suggest? I can say, well, like, local to me here. If you're on the world, these are all the people. Go and speak to them. They're the experts. I can signpost you to them. Um, and but I didn't know about them like when I needed them, <laughs> you know. And it, so I think that's the that's the key is to that's the message, isn't it? Is to let people know where to go with this stuff. And like it's the variation that's important, isn't it? You know, so if you'd have said to me, Oh, speak to someone about your mental health. I was like, oh, I can not possibly speak to anyone. And you say, all right, well, what about my black dog? It's another, a charity, a text-based service, you know, run by volunteers, all with lived experience. Their catchphrase is speak to someone who gets it. Right. So if yeah. someone says, well, I can't talk. It's like, cool. Can you text? <laughs> you know, cause there's another option. And, the, and there's so many different versions of this stuff out there. And I think the more we just need to get that's where that's what people need to know about that's what people need to know about, you know, because sometimes once you're aware, like you say, that's when the problems start. It's not a crap. Yeah. Maybe I actually am ill now. What do I do? Um, but yeah, I, I, do, I, think that's kind of, um, that's what happens next. And then to, to demonstrate what happens next when you ask to help, well, one, a lot of these organizations will have that information. And I think too, just by having conversations where we share experience, that's, maybe that's how you find out what, what comes next, you know, because outside of, mental health the mental health conversation, anything I'd ever heard. So the big stigma for me around like medication was like loads of people saying, oh, it like, you know, I put on loads away or I turned into a zombie or it changed all this sort of you know, I'd heard all that sort of stuff. And because it was confirming my narrative and my biases, I chose to believe it. And in reality, some of the people who were telling me this stuff, I wouldn't take like I don't know, childcare advice from, you know, like I wouldn't let them anywhere near my tax returns, but for some reason, Mm -hmm. I thought they were suitable to go to for medical advice. But I think if we're having like more open, open and honest conversations, then people can really hear other experiences and both sides of the coin and, and not just hearing what they want to hear. Um, and you know, having those conversations and trying to have them outside of the, outside of the norm, you know, having them in places you know, people know, I, I, I will openly talk about my mental health so that I'm advertising the fact that I'm a safe space for other people to do the same, you know, and for every people that goes, oh, there he goes again, there might be someone who's listening who thinks, oh, right. Okay. Well, you know, it's okay for him to do it. Maybe I can do it. Yeah. Maybe just lead him by example, right? Maybe that's, that's all we can do is just lead by example and to keep showing up for ourselves and, um, and that'll, that'll rub off, you know, that'll inspire people, yeah. that'll inform I completely people, agree maybe. with maybe that kind of,
0: um you know showing up for yourself and speaking out about it in the hope that one person will think "Hmm, maybe I could chat about it too um because I think you know I do sometimes feel like a bit of a broken record of oh here she goes again she's he's talking about mental health but you know when it's I think when it's something that has been such a big part of your life and has affected you so much. For me personally, the one thing that I don't want is for somebody else to go through it in the same way that I did. So if I can, you know, cut that a little bit shorter for somebody else, I think that is so important. And also what you were saying about medication, I've found um that so interesting recently um when I've gone back on medication because I was so unbelievably against it. Like if someone came to me and said, um Thinking about going on a medication, what do you think? I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, great. You know, it's a really good starting point. It might not be forever, but it'll help you to get up to a certain level. And then you'll be able to engage in therapy and stuff like that. But for me, I was like, no way. I've heard all of these bad stories, but was completely ignoring every single person that I'd heard talk about it that, that I was then telling other people. Um, and actually, for me, you know, a, a thing that I didn't even realize that was going to happen I now don't have IBS I had really bad IBS before and it's completely gone and that was something that was really getting me down in terms of my mental health I wasn't even thinking about but I hadn't heard people talk about all these positives I was just saying that it was a positive um because I think we're so quick to focus on the negative but you know it's yeah it's crazy how much you focus on the negative rather than listening to people when they talk about the positives of it as well.
1: Yeah. If you're trying to get Mm -hmm. out of something, you'll listen to anyone who like, you know, allows you to get out of it. You know, if people aren't challenging you, then it's really, really easy, isn't it? Um, But, you know, I think with medication, um, you know, like get the the best advice I got uh, before I started on on medication was um, uh, the therapy, uh, the therapist I was working with at the time. He said, well, if you're going to take something, you might as well become Mm -hmm. an expert on it, you know, so read up. Like find out about it and not down some (laughs) dodgy like YouTube rabbit hole where some, you know, do you know what I mean? With some person saying, oh, don't take them, go and, you know, eat this instead or whatever. None of that, but like proper. Um, And he actually gave me um, like a medical textbook and it's the one that the gps use when they because they can't remember everything of course they can't when they need to go back and check stuff and it was all that stuff you know that little bit of paper that comes in your pill packet and (laughs) with your parasite molds and all that read it there's like loads of information on it right like you know like yeah if you're going to take something become an ex make an informed decision the decision is ultimately yours you can do whatever you want you know like that's that's not a problem but yeah make it based on the right reasons and if it's not for you it's not for you and if it is it is but um you know and if you try it and it doesn't work or you don't like it well you can stop or you can try something else you know like it's not um it doesn't need to be maybe as big a deal as certainly Mm. my own experience it didn't need to be as big a deal and i I
0: think what you've just said there about like trying it and if it's bad you don't have to do it that's kind of my approach to mental health recovery um because you know everybody's got a choice, and what we were saying earlier about like being comfortable and being in that position, I just keep telling myself, just try it, like you did with your antidepressants for for six weeks. Just try it for a bit. If it's that bad, you can go back to what you're doing right now. Probability is that you're not going to want to go back there. Um, but actually giving yourself that chance, but equally knowing in the back of your mind that you know if it really is that bad, if if life without it is that bad just
1: go back because there's always that possibility yeah yeah yes. that's it try yeah try a different one you know try yeah. You just yeah whatever just keep trying right just keep um keep looking but um yeah, it is useful to find out everything you yeah. can about something and it gives you the power. Knowledge is power, right? Understand and um, try and get a better understanding. If you don't understand it, try and get a well, better understanding. Well, Tom,
0: thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Um I'm actually really appreciative that I've met you, to be honest, because I, everything you were saying here today has been really inspiring and it's made me think that I need to do a few a few things that I've been holding back on. So yeah, thank you very much. Um oh, mate. I am sure people will want to listen to more of what you have got to say. So where can they find you for more info?
1: Um, all the usual places, really. Um, so you can get a podcast everywhere you get podcasts or at Proper Mental Podcast on social media. And, um, yeah, that's it. It'll turn up. We'll find it. I'm sure uh, when your episode really? comes out in a few weeks, then uh, yeah. anyone listening Amazing. will be able to track you well, down Thank you so that. much,
0: Tom. Yeah. It's been a pleasure.
1: Oh mate, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been um yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.